Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, change can really make life difficult. (laughs) If you don't believe me, look at the last week and how much people are obsessed with and talking about the rule changes in the NFL after the Super Bowl, right? All week long. Change doesn't come easy. But that's life. Now, things can change for the better. There's no question about that. Things can change for the better, but things can also change for the worse, at least from our perspective. And when these things happen, when change happens, and these changes are external, they fall under the category of trials. And you are familiar with all sorts of trials, aren't you? Trials can be financial, of course. Just when an investment seems to be taking off, it crashes back to earth, and you think, oh boy, should have sold, right? Back, way back when. Without warning, the rent can go up 20%. It's happening here in Fargo. Years of loyal service to a company can end through layoffs or the decision to simply go in another direction. Human relationships, they change. They don't last forever. Just when you think a friendship or a family connection is improving, it can go the other way with no real explanation at all. Distance can develop between long-married spouses, and divorce seems like the only viable option to a surprise of everyone around them. Life itself is fragile and fleeting. Change happens. Change happens in national policy. Attitudes about God's word shifts, and so societal priorities shift. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Sometimes to things that are not in accordance with God's will. Things change. And when things happen, and when change happens in ways that we don't like, and it hits us where we live, it's easy, really easy for us, to blame God. To be distant, resentful, bitter, and rebellious toward him. Interestingly enough, you are born with a sinful nature that is exactly those things that I just mentioned. Rebellious, bitter, resentful, and distant from God. And in a sermon about change, ironically, you can't change these attitudes and inclinations between yourself and God by your own natural reason or ability. But God can, and God does. It's interesting because James, I'm so thankful for James, that's not necessarily one of the books of the Bible that we turn to, but James tells us something, and it should tell us something about God and his will for your life, and for your eternal life, and that is this, of his own will, right, not your will, of his own will, he brought us forth, he brought you forth, by what? The word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What does this mean? And so James, of course, is writing to the fledgling Christian church and makes the case that God plants faith, grows faith by the word of truth. 
Not by, again, your will or your power or your reason, but by his will. You are the fruit of God's labor. You are the fruit of God's working, right? You have God's undeserved favor. You have salvation. You have faith. All worked by God. All of it born from God's will for you so that you would be part of his family and receive all the blessings that that brings. And so when James talks about bringing you forth, that causes to mind birth. And that causes to mind baptism. So through water and the word, the Lord brought you forth into new birth from above, right? As we hear in John chapter 3. Birth from above. Pouring out his mercy and grace in your baptism, his forgiveness and spirit, he gave you a new heart. And guess what? God doesn't just arbitrarily take those gifts away. He does not and will not. And in today's epistle lesson, James wants Christians to know this and believe this and receive this. Because us, not so much. We change, as we've mentioned many times before. Our allegiances, our attitudes change. But the purposes of God's word, bringing us forth, that doesn't change. Circumstances certainly change. God's promises do not. And we'll show some examples of that from the scriptures this morning. Circumstances change, things change, but God's love in Christ Jesus for you does not. Ever. No wonder James writes the following. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. For every good gift, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, right? Uh, Creation, he created everything. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, God doesn't change. In this sinful world, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm sorry to say that things will change. And you know this. And not always for the better. But it won't get the better of us, I pray, because God has something better for you and that will not change. Take it to heart. And so even when trials come and change happens, James encourages Christians. And he reminds us uh, that there is something better that God has in store for us, much better. And so he exhorts us in the following way. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. But it's a struggle. Because in the meantime, our sinful nature, yes, the world and Satan will try everything under the sun, everything under the sun to try to convince you that this isn't true, that God, that God's plan for you hasn't changed. It'll try to convince you that there's something better that can be had outside of God's plan to crown you with eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is called temptation. That's internal. That's internal. Right? God doesn't place it there. Uh, your own sinful, fallen, broken mind uh, thinks about things, the wheels turn, right? And there's a temptation. An internal struggle. 
And I want to give you two examples that went two vastly different ways from the scriptures, okay? And a good example of things going the wrong way is Cain. You remember Cain, I'm sure. Cain and Abel, both men, brought their sacrifices before God. But Cain, see, he viewed his sacrifice as an obligation. I got to do it. (sighs) Okay, I'll do it. Abel did it for an entirely different reason. Joyous thanksgiving for God being so good to him, so gracious, so merciful, so loving. And when God did not accept Cain's sacrifice, Cain became despondent. So what was God doing by this? What was he trying to do? Didn't love him anymore? Of course not. He was trying to change Cain's heart, Cain's thinking. Assuring him that he would be accepted. He had God's favor. He didn't have to jump through hoops to get it. He had God's favor. The sacrifice is merely a response generated by faith, by thanksgiving. Of acknowledging in James' words that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, right? Totally over Cain's head. Cain ignored God's word. He ignored God's warning that sin, just like James warns us, can give birth to greater sin, right? I mean, he warns him. Sin's crouching at your door. It's Watch yourself. He ignored it. Resentment of God's loving correction gave birth to Cain's despondency, which gave birth to jealousy, which then gave birth to, well, you know, murdering his brother, Abel. Seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Seems ridiculous. How is killing Abel going to fix your relationship with God? It's not. That's what sin does. You remember what happens next. For Cain's heinous act, God told Cain that he would be a wanderer on the earth. Cain would no longer be able to grow crops as he had before, but would be dependent solely on God's providence. Solely on God's providence, right? So God does it that way. You're going to have to rely on me. You're not going to be able to rely on yourself. And you might remember that Cain was very worried because he thought... That someone would come after him for revenge, for reprisal, for retribution, whatever you want to say. But despite Cain's sin, God's compassion for him did not change. He provided for Cain's bodily needs, of course. And by his word, the Lord worked to restore Cain to faith. Cain rejected God's grace. In fact, uh, when Cain was worried that there would be reprisals, God put a mark on Cain as a reminder that then they would incur judgment from God. Instead of seeing this as an act of grace, as an act of love, it seemed that Cain used the mark that God had given him to indulge in all sorts of ungodly behavior without fear of reprisal and pass that on uh, to his offspring. Sin to worse sin. 
God had nothing to do with working rejection in Cain. Nothing. Cain simply refused to turn away from his natural, fallen, sinful, hard heart. And James says this to kind of help us as we navigate uh, temptations like Cain had. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted, and this is where you have to start considering, just like Cain did, temptations. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire, sinful desire. That desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is the story of Cain. Not everybody folds so miserably under trial. In today's Old Testament lesson, we have the narrative, the historical narrative of Abraham and Isaac. And God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child. They would have a child. And he told Abraham that through Isaac shall your offspring be named. In other words, uh, your descendants will come from Isaac. See? And you know the narrative. After 25 years of waiting, when conceiving by biological means had passed, it seemed laughable, not just to Sarah, but both to Abraham and Sarah, that they would have a child. It seemed ridiculous. But the Lord promised and the Lord delivered. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> the Lord brought it to pass. And instead of scoffing laughter when Isaac is born, there's joyous laughter because God had removed the reproach from Sarah, the stigma of her not being able to have a child, which is a heritage from the Lord. Born from thanksgiving from the couple who appropriately named their son laughter. You see, God's promise, his word hadn't changed, even though Abraham and Sarah Thought that it had. Well, he mustn't have meant this. He must have meant this. See? The one through whom the Christ would come, the line of blood descendants would continue through Isaac. So imagine our surprise. Right? When God tells Abraham to sacrifice his beloved son. The thing is, is that Abraham, the man of faith, that's what the scriptures call him, the New Testament scriptures. Abraham, the man of faith, knew something. More than that, Abraham, the man of faith, believed something. God had given him his word. And Abraham knew that God kept his word. And Abraham knew that that wouldn't change. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And so Abraham does as God commands. Why? The author to the Hebrews lets us know that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. As we mentioned, there's this promise. And then the author to the Hebrew says this. He, that is Abraham, considered that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. 
from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God kept his promise. It didn't change. Through this test, I suppose, you would have to think that Abraham realized, that if he didn't know already, he probably did, that Isaac would die someday. But God's promises, they would never die. Abraham's true hope then could not rest in Isaac, but instead of God's promises concerning Isaac. That's a big difference. The same is true for you. God does not change. His promises do not change. God promised that he would send a savior for you, a suffering servant, to save you from slavery to sin and allegiance to Satan's rebellious ways. And he did. The father sent his son. That plan never changed. And unlike with Abraham and Isaac, the father did not spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all. Faithful Jesus. Who suffered, died, and rose again. Faithful Jesus. Who did things just as he said. Right? The plan never changed. Faithful Jesus. Who cried out. It is finished. What is finished? In him you have redemption. You're bought back from sin, death, and the power of the devil. In him you have the forgiveness of sins. And that's not going to change. Ever. I'm not aware of all the trials that you might be facing currently. For some of you, I know that the trials that you're facing currently are considerable. And I don't have the boldness or the wisdom to know why God allows trials to come as they do. But when theologians are quick to say that trials strengthen our faith, oh man, I take umbrage at that. They go against one of the things that makes Lutheranism so distinct, and that is God works faith through his word. Okay? Through his word. So through trials, God's word of promise for the forgiveness of your sins, for life, eternal life, and salvation for you in Christ does not change. But it's the Word that does it, along with not the trial, it's the Word. And that's what we hold on to. God's will for you, what he has done for you in Christ, does not change. Not ever. It's the one thing in life of which you can be absolutely positive and certain. And that means that when you face trials and temptations, God's word carries you through. God's word helps you to overcome. And God's word shows you his deep and abiding love for you in all circumstances, in all circumstances, and that will never change. So will your story be like Cain's? Or will it be like Abraham's? James writes what God works, 
and God wills for you and in you. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought you forth by the word of truth, that you should be a kind of first fruits, harvest of his creatures. Amen. I mean, the peace which surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.